Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today, I'm really excited about the guest we have on our podcast because she is a wealth of information, but not only is she going to educate us today, she is going to inspire us uh, and help us understand the connection between our mental health and our nutrition. As a mental health trailblazer, media personality, and founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health, Dr. Roseanne is on a mission to change the way we view and treat mental health, showing people it's going to be okay with science-backed tools that calm the brain. With her trademark Brain Behavior Reset Program, she has helped thousands address the most challenging conditions affecting kids and families today, including PANS and PANDAS, OCD, anxiety, mood behavior, and ADHD executive functioning. Dr. Roseanne, welcome to the show. Well, I am so excited to be here and talk about nutrition and all the ways we can support mental health naturally, but that are science-backed to give people different routes that they may not have thought of before so they can take control of their mental wellness. Yeah, I love that so much because I always tell my clients or anybody that's coming to us at Body Metrics, like, who is this for? And I'm like, well, really, you know, any any disease or or dysfunction that you're struggling with, there's usually a nutrition component. You know, obviously we know all our different systems, our endocrine systems, gastroenterology, all that kind of stuff. But mental health, we're now seeing such a big connection between our mental health and nutrition. So um, I would love to dive into that topic today and really help you know, people that are listening, find that connection as well to offer hope and healing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we, so many people are so afraid to change their diets and they feel that it's this big mountain. And, you know, when I like to think about making diet changes, I like to think about trying to eat more things that actually power up your brain. And yes, there are certain diets that can be more prescriptive, but instead of feeling overwhelmed by it, like just start small, make, you know, one consistent change and adding in foods that really power up the brain. I mean, even just at a very intuitive level, you know, that if you start your day, you know, with a protein packed breakfast versus a donut, you feel different. You know, and I want people to make that mind body connection and, and food can be a big part of that healing journey. So is this something relatively new that we're making connections between mental health and nutrition or has this been going on for a while and we just didn't have enough research to talk about it? Well, actually, it's been going on a long time and there's a lot of research. It's just there's there the system we have a, a disease care, a sick care system. We don't have a wellness care system. And part of the problem is um, 
in traditional training of physicians, and even today, it is rare for a physician to have even one course in nutrition. So they're not able to advise their patients in how nutrition impacts the brain, but they all have psychopharmacology courses. So when patients come in and say, you know, I'm anxious, they're much more likely to say, here's an SSRI versus what is your diet? Have you, you know, have you tried adding in greens? You know, have you tried um, intermittent fasting? What's your protein levels like? You know, are you getting enough healthy fats? They're not having those conversations. They are more, but the science is very, very clear and there's increasing science and there's also meta-analyses um, research where you're looking at multiple research studies and then it's peer reviewed and then reanalyzed, which is what I like to call the Mac Daddy of research. And basically they're all very clear that one diet helps mental health and there are many variations, but it's an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, and, you know, we are really making the connection through research and even post-mortem studies between brain inflammation and clinical mental health symptoms and clinical issues. So that has been there for a long time. I mean, there's a whole field called nutritional psychiatry. <laughs> um, and, and that is a newer field, but we've known for decades that what you eat impacts your mental health and really can have a strong connection between um, not just symptom reduction, but actually eliminating clinical issues, which is pretty amazing. And when people get to this road, they go down this road and they often are here because the psych meds aren't working, or maybe they just want to, um, or everything they're doing isn't working, but, or they just really want to be holistic. And they're often surprised how quickly things can turn around when they make a very concerted effort with dietary changes and also adding supplements. Yeah. So let's, I guess, take a step back first and, and start at the beginning. So what, why, or how does nutrition impact brain health? Yeah. So there's uh, multiple ways that nutrition impacts brain health. So first of all, as I uh, mentioned, the number one way that diet impacts is reducing inflammation, right? So we know that high levels of inflammation, you say, well, how do I have inflammation? There are many reasons why children and adults have inflammation. I'm able to see it very clearly, inflammation in the brain on a QEG brain map, which is essentially sort of like a brain scan. It, it gives you the patterning of brain waves. It's something that I do and have done, you know, thousands of them. But we know that it reduces inflammation, number one. Number two, you're giving your brain and body the nutrients that it needs when we have an anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense diet, right? So if you're eating a SAD diet, which is a standard American diet, right? You're having lots of white flour, you're having lots of sugar. I told my massage therapist last night who I adore, I said, Laura, you're the only person in my world who I know drinks soda. <laughs> and, and she was like, I was like, Laura, I can't even believe I have somebody in my world who drinks soda. Like it's terrible for you, you know? And she's like, I know I'm giving, I gave it up. And I'm like, she's like, the pain of it is, is terrible, but I'm sleeping better. I'm, I'm, you know, I lost 10 pounds. I was like, amazing. Right. And, um, 
so we know that it's replacing nutrients that uh, you're actually getting nutrients that you need. And three, when you are suffering, particularly with anxiety and your nervous system is uh, in a sympathetic dominant state, right? So we have an automatic nervous system and um, our ANS is our stress response system. So when you're stressed, you go from a relaxed parasympathetic state to a uh, activated, uh, war-ready, sympathetic dominant state. And unfortunately, in today's society, we're moving towards activation all the time, high levels of stress. Once your body is in a sympathetic state and, and compounded stressors, everyday stressors can cause children and adults to move into that state, your body will deplete certain nutrients in particular, you know, magnesium, vitamin D, and they, cause those are the workhorses. Those are our two most used new, uh, uh, ones, vitamin ones, uh, uh, min, uh, a mineral nutrient. So it adds foods that we need because we're in a chronic stress state, right? So basically what, when you're eating high density, high nutrient density foods, you're giving the body what it needs so that the nervous system can work properly. That means neurotransmitters. I mean, I think people are pretty shocked that you actually can impact the chemicals in your brain by certain foods. Uh, I don't think people realize that. And then also lastly, your food impacts your gut health. And we're very, very clear that we have a connection between our gut and our brain um, and the vagus nerve connects the two and there's a bi-directional influence. I don't want to get too, te too technical, but we need certain bacteria in our gut to create neurotransmitters and particularly serotonin. And serotonin is needed, uh, is a key neurotransmitter for mood, stress, anxiety, and attention. Uh, and most people who, you know, you're, if you're here and you're listening, if you're struggling with anxiety, you know, you often have gut symptoms, right? And, and that may cause you to avoid food or overeat, but there are multiple ways that nutrition can positively impact us when we put the right food in our mouth. And that's the, the mental flip that I want people to have instead of that overwhelm, like, how am I going to do this? You know, um, you know, I can't be perfect. Who is perfect? Right. And we don't want you to move from being stressed to being restricted with your food either. You just want to concentrate on, you know, 70 to 80% of the time, at least making really good food choices. Um, and the good news is when you move towards an anti-inflammatory diet, which largely encompasses either eliminating or reducing uh, or uh, reducing at a very low level sugar, um, you know, gluten, white flour, um, and dairy. Um, and dairy can be controversial. Some of the anti-inflammatory diets, uh, the most studied diet is a Mediterranean diet for mental health. That is absolutely. And the Mediterranean diet is also tied to longevity. Um, it's a brain diet and, you know, the healthiest, happiest countries in the world eat anti, a high anti-inflammatory diet. They also move their butt. They move They're physical and they're social too, you know? So uh, there's, it's, it's not as that. And I think when you power up and you eat right and you're feeling better, you're less anxious, you're less depressed, you are more focused, you're more likely to be social and connected and active too. So lots and lots of ways that 
food really can positively impact brain health. And, you know, for anybody that's in a chronic stress state, you know what it's like, you're fatigued, you're tired, you're, you're unfocused. Um, maybe you're moody, maybe you're withdrawn, maybe you're easily angered. Um, food can help mitigate that. You always want to have therapeutic support. You always want to address those behaviors that's stuff that got you there, whether it's stuff from your history, you know, um, we, we live in a society where we want to kind of ignore things, you know, um, and, you know, numb it with things like alcohol and food and binge watching Netflix. Um, you know, it's okay to have a weekend of binge watching Netflix. It's not okay to always binge watch Netflix to never deal with your issues. Um, so it's a well-rounded piece, but, but food for me, when people come to me and I treat people from all over the world, food is a mandatory component of my brain behavior reset program because it works and it can change how the brain is working so quickly. When you say quickly, or is that a matter of weeks, months? Well, you know, I always say, what are people willing to do? So um, when I talk about food, and, and I'm really talking about a calm brain diet, how do you calm the brain quickly, right? Because I don't see anybody without an activated brain. It doesn't matter how old, the, if it's a child that's four years old or somebody who's 81, their brain is in an overactivated state. And I can see it. You can see it on these brain maps. You don't need a brain map. You know how you feel. Your stomach hurts. Your chest is tight. You're not sleeping. You're you're avoiding people. Think about those symptoms, and they're often psycho. You know, they're somatic symptoms. Um, so you know when people are, you know, I always say, or do you want to jump in the deep end, or do you want to walk into the pool very slowly, right? In terms of dietary changes. And there's never any shame. So a lot of my people are very overwhelmed. And so I tend to get two groups. I get the people who are like, I'm all in. Today's the last day I'm ever having wheat. I'm doing this and da, da, da. But the majority of my people are like, I'm scared. I want to step in. And I'm like, okay. So for me, that's probably like a 25, 30% dietary change. And that's a swap out. Those are swap outs from unhealthy to healthier versions, right? And so those changes are going to be more subtle, right? Now, if we know somebody's very reactive to food, like I, I have somebody this week that is their child has an immediate response to any foods that we're not talking dyes, we're also natural foods that are red or purple. Okay. So if they eat these foods that have red or purple in them, there's something in the skins of these fruits or whatever their doctor said that has an allergy. So the kid starts literally acting aggressive. Well, that's a pretty easy remove it and have a clear symptom. I would say that when people do swap outs and then really concentrate for me, when there's anxiety, depression, anything that's brain, you know, ADHD, I really want you to increase fat and protein. Um, I need your neurotransmitters working and that's what the fat's going to be about. It's going to really help heal your gut. And the protein is going to keep your blood sugar stable. So you're not going up and down, you know, making impulsive decisions, maybe being overreactive to things, which then makes you feel ashamed. So it kind of breaks those cycles. So if I can get some swap outs, I can get some more constancy on those things. Most of my people notice the difference in a matter of two weeks or less, um, mm -hmm. sometimes in a few days. 
You know, it's sort of like if you ever did a detox, a 10 day detox, like you notice a difference, you know, are you going to be symptom free? No, this is not magic wand time. Um, could you quickly maybe have one symptom get much better? Sure. Um, are you able to predict that? No. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, accompanying that, right? Like we can't, my program is brain behavior reset on purpose. You can't separate the brain from behavior. So yes, you can change your diet and you can have some relief and, and put some of that fire out in a brain that's agitated. But what are you going to do on your day to day? Are you going to still say negative things to yourself? Are you going to be unkind in your mind? Are you going to be mad when you had a cookie and say, forget it, I'm a horrible person? Of course not, you know, but, but if you're stuck in a behavioral pattern, you're not going to make the change in the same way that you could, you know? So, you know, how are you going to make those changes in your life? And they, they have to start small. Everyone wants everything so quick. Um, and we often feel like if I haven't gotten to the top of the mountain, it's a failure. Um, and it's a very American culture kind of thing. It doesn't matter. You know, whenever somebody comes and works with me, we have it all mapped out. We explain it to them. And, you know, I had somebody recently be like, how quickly, how, how, what can we do to expedite this even faster? You know, and I was like, well, I'm not in control of your son's, you know, OCD. He's, he's in control of his OCD and we don't have, healing doesn't have a timeline you know, it's, it, hopefully it's a, a trending upward stock market, but it does go up and down like the stock market, but people need to realize they very much are in control and a healthy diet that's super, super nutrient dense. Like, you know, so again, I mentioned fats and protein as being critical, but you know, also a variety of rainbow colored, you know, vegetables more than fruit, but fruit as well. That is probably, you know, the most healing brain diet you could possibly do uh, than anything, you know, but fat is critical for a brain that is anxious or depressed. And that's surprising to people. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we talk about so much how babies need fat for brain development. So it, there, I can see the connection between brain health and fat. And specifically, we're talking about unsaturated types of fats, or can it be all types of fat? Can it be animal products, or can it? It can it just be animal be products. I mean, I, you know, the top brain fats um, are, you know, avocado, um, you know, eggs, you know, um, and obviously higher quality meats, you know, grass grass fed beef. Um, you know, the ghee butter, um, smoked salmon, hummus, but there's nothing wrong with having fats through meat as well. It just needs to be a cleaner, you know, chemical free meat as much as people can do. Right. Um, cause I also want to honor that there actually are food deserts, even in America, you know, and it's sometimes easier to get a bag of Doritos than it is clean meat you know, depending on where you live. So, you know, gravitating and, and, you know, like get frozen, don't feel like you can't get frozen. Fresh is always better, but you know, I use lots of frozen. And I, as I said to you before we started, like, I, I consider myself a five-star chef, you know, so, you know, you got to get what you got to get. And sometimes there's convenience and those foods can be amazing. I mean, now you can go to the big box store and you can get big, huge things of, you know, organic kale frozen and, you know, all that. And it just helps you to make better food choices and it's done for you. It's, it's cleaned, it's chopped. 
convenience it has uh is a cool thing yeah well and like you said if the goal is to be eating these healthier foods 80 percent of the time what preparation method do you need to use what convenience do you need to use to get that to be 80 percent because if you know if it means doing everything from scratch and only getting something off of a farm but you can only do that 10 percent of the time you're not going to see the benefits as if you use oh, some of these it's, other it's not options. sustainable right yeah, absolutely. And kudos to the people that do that. I have a lot of, you know, people that follow me that do that. I'm not able to do that, you know? So um, I try to uh, do use foods that are prepped and already organic. And I also try to batch things um, so that I have like pre-marinated meats and things like that. So, um, and you can eat, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a carnivore, a vegan, or whatever you are, there's ways to do this to get the nutrients in. If you're a vegan, and I have friends that are not just vegans, they're keto vegans and have oh, come wow. and stayed with me. Yeah. And it requires a lot of planning. You know, my friends that are keto vegan, they bring their food with them wherever they go. Like they don't ever anticipate they're going to go out and get what they need, you know? So you just have to plan. Um, which sometimes feel overwhelming for people, but I, I just, I've been an unbelievably healthy eater really my whole life. Um, and I'm first generation American. Um, my parents are from Italy and, you know, they, um, American Italian food is not what real Italians eat. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's just like a holiday meal. That's not what Italians eat. So, you know, I had two to three vegetables at every meal when I grew up um, every night, not just on the weekends. So uh, we had a lot of variety of food and uh, a lot of really healthy food. And I didn't know any different. And uh, I didn't have bologna. I didn't have mayonnaise or anything until I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So and my mother would cry if we ever try to have like SpaghettiOs or something like that. And um, <laughs> yeah. and I was lucky, like if she bought processed foods, I literally would uh, couldn't tolerate it and would vomit. So I couldn't process the chemicals in the foods. So um, it's turned out to be a great thing. I'm still like that today that I just can't have that kind of stuff. So it makes it easy. People like that's terrible. I was like, no, it's not. You just never had garbage, you know? Right. Right. Well, Dr. Roseanne, I actually, um, I wanted to bring that topic back to anxiety and depression because yeah. I don't know about you, um, but in my office, if I had to estimate how many of my clients are struggling with anxiety and depression or are on some type of medication to manage that, uh, whether that started with, you know, prior to COVID was a result of COVID um, I would estimate uh, without having like actual data and plotting it, probably 70 to 80% of my clients are on some type of medication to manage um, anxiety and depression. And so is that something that is consistent with the trends of the world right now? Is that just um, specific to my line of business and because of like the nutrition piece and maybe not being happy with their bodies or medically they're struggling, you know, is this a consistent thing across the board? Why are we seeing so many people struggle with this? 
Yeah. Um, there are so many reasons why. So this is year 31. I've been in mental health. Um, there are so many trends that I see a across all ages. And certainly uh, anxiety now is the number one uh, clinical mental health condition in the United States. Um, ADHD is the number one clinical disorder amongst children. Anxiety is just right behind it. Um, and before the pandemic, one in four American uh, adults were on a psych med. I'm sorry, one in six. After the pandemic, it's one in four. Um, there are much higher estimates of college kids. I've seen anywhere from like 35 to 42% of college kids are on a psych med. Um, and, you know, 50% of kids that have a mental health problem aren't receiving treatment. And stress levels in the pandemic went up astronomical. So 70% of US adults in the Stress in America survey said that their level of stress was extraordinarily high um, in when they had children in the pandemic. So we are trending towards way more stress, way more psych meds. And as psychiatric medication has increased, so has mental health problems. Why? Right? Um, so there are so many reasons we don't have one, right? And and to answer your question, why do you have more, right? As a non-mental health provider, obviously everybody has a mental health problem that comes to me, but um, is because people are looking for alternative solutions. They're realizing what they're doing isn't working and they're not, they don't feel better on the SSRIs, right? And I, when it comes to psychiatric medication, I take a strong stance. So when it comes to children, I 100% of the time believe it should never be the first thing used. It's a developing brain. We have clinically proven ways to support the brain. And we are not teaching parents about how to support the behavior. And we're making a huge mistake with children. And there's all kinds of short-term and long-term and very serious side effects from even ADD meds. We are not fully educating people I know they have the insert, but they're expecting their provider to educate them. When it comes to adults, they're, they're adults. They make their own decisions, but they're finding you because they're like, wait a second, I could feel better. And maybe they're just doing simple Google searches and they're seeing the research showing flashing red lights that yes, nutrition and lifestyle changes can really change the brain. We know this. So what, what are some of these reasons? There are a lot, everything from poor food quality, is tied to mental health issues. Um, lack of socialization uh, in the pandemic had a huge negative impact um, with depression, anxiety, and OCD and suicide um, ideation going through the roof, right? Um, and uh, too much time on devices, uh, accepting stress as a lifestyle component without doing anything to mitigate it. You know, one of my all-time favorite quotes is from Einstein. The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. That is really what insanity is. And people will try a med and then try another med and try another med and try another med and there's no different result. You have to work on behavior. You can't expect yourself to have anxious thoughts, anxious behaviors, poor coping mechanisms, and not be anxious. 
that med is not going to do anything. That diet is not going to do anything. Neurofeedback's not going to do anything. You've got to make those changes. You also have to, you know, we all have our stuff. We all have little traumas and big traumas. You got to get rid of it. You've got to find a way to put it in its proper place therapeutically because it will come back over and over and you will pass that stuff. I'm not going to use potty words to your kids. You will pat, you can choose to have generational mental wellness or you can keep passing them, you know, negative thoughts, um, you know, scarcity mindset, all of those things. So people are more anxious. The statistics are showing that. And yes, psychiatric medication is dramatically increasing and we are not getting mentally healthier. The exciting part is people are finding you, they're finding me, and they're recognizing there are solutions and there are things that really can move the dial and really be transformational. But we are talking about lifestyle changes. We're not talking about a 30 day diet and then it's over. Um, we're really saying like, okay, I'm going to love myself enough to make changes that help my brain and help, you know, not just me, but again, my family that are with me. Yeah. You know, sometimes it makes me think, is this kind of like a, a chicken and the egg conversation? Like what came first? Was it the poor diet that caused the depression and anxiety? Um, or has the depression and anxiety caused, uh, you know, or has led to a poor diet because of not having the right coping tools and coping strategies and around and around and around we go. I mean, it really can be both. It really can. I can tell you that, I mean, I have the privilege of doing these brain maps. And so you can see patterning in the brain based on nutrition. I can see based on nutritional deficiencies on gut health. And uh, in the last 10 years, I mean, even young children, I see always see brain inflammation unless they are already uh, like a super clean eater, like a paleo gaps diet kind of kid. There's inflammation. Almost nobody has proper gut health when they come to me. And these are things that really impact the brain. So you're seeing lots of attention problems. Um, and I, I would say that most of the time people come to me with complaints about an attention problem usually co-occurring with anxiety. Those would be like the two top things or the number one thing because it's double. Um, and at least 50% of the time, it's not ADHD. It can be an inflammation-based problem. It can be a head injury. It could be um, a processing issue. It could be anxiety. It can be a lot of other things. There are many reasons why our attention breaks down and it doesn't have to be organic ADHD. You have to have an early history of of attention problems before age 12. You can't just wake up to one day and be like, I don't pay attention. I got ADHD. I've had more of that now than I've had all these 30 years. I've had more adults come to me now saying that they think they have ADHD and they're convinced, but there was no history up until you know, a year before or whatever it is, you know, and there can be hormone imbalance, particularly uh, not just for women, but men as well. Um, but you know, we, we, the chicken or the egg, it's hard to tell. I mean, most Americans, you know, it's called the sad diet for a reason, <laughs> you yeah. know, people are eating poor. <clears throat> so you think it, it could even be like a culmination of the sad diet over the years Definitely. and then lead to some of these diagnoses? Yeah. I mean, you're not putting gas in your car. <clears throat> it can't run. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, and um, I can tell you a lot of people eat, you know, pizza twice a week. Like they're not cooking their foods or having, you know, a lots of takeout and chicken nuggets and things. It's not to say you don't have these things once in a while, but that should not be the base of the diet, right? Um, and it takes a little planning to make sure, right, you're eating the right foods. It it just does. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit more about ADHD because you know, I, I feel like I've had more women come to my practice recently diagnosed with ADHD than, than ever before. I've never, I've seen it mostly diagnosed in children, but now I feel like I have more adults, specifically women that are also now coming into this diagnosis. Um, for some, they're like, oh, this just finally makes sense. Like somebody can help me and they're noticing such great changes with the, the lifestyle changes they're making with maybe some of the medications that they're on. Um, why are we seeing an uptick in this diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I when I see this, and this is definitely a conversation I have all the time with different providers, because providers like ask me, why am I seeing this? So Number one, a, a lot of times it can be, you know, something that was missed that, you know, maybe they're getting their kids getting diagnosed and they're recognizing, holy cow, I had those whole symptoms, all those symptoms. They have to have been there before age 12. You do not get ADHD at age 38, 54. And what are those symptoms? Like, were, did you have a hard time focusing? Where did you, you know, have trouble completing tasks? Did you underperform even though you were really bright? Did the teachers complain about you? You know, what, what makes you think you're ADHD? Those are some of the things. Maybe you're impulsive, you're verbally impulsive, all those other stuff. And know that on average, um, somebody with ADHD as well as dyslexia tend to have a higher IQ than average so they can compensate in a different way, right? Um, and intellectually gifted people, and sometimes people can think they have ADHD. Their brain just doesn't want to do boring stuff. It doesn't mean that they have ADHD, even though two E people happen all the time. So one could have been missed. Two, it's something else, right? I have this great quiz called, is it ADHD or something else? Because most of the time it's something else, right? At least mm -hmm. 50% of the time. So what are those things? Anxiety, depression, OCD. If you have those things, you are not paying attention. Your brain is experiencing drifting, looping thoughts uh, with depression. It might be shifting off um, with anxiety and OCD. It's hyper uh, looping on certain, certain worries. Um, so that could be something else. The other thing is, is that, you know, you are, maybe it's hormone changes. Maybe it's a poor diet. There are a lot of things that also could be post COVID symptoms, right? Could be long haulers can affect just your cognition. So uh, you have to look at root causes, right? We don't always look at root causes. And that is something why everybody always comes to me because they want to really get to the bottom of what's going on and then really, you know, get the right treatment. Now, nutrition is always going to improve your brain and your body right? It, it always is. And sometimes there are straight nutritional deficiencies that cause attention problems. Yeast, 
Um, you know, having candida in your, you know, in your organs, particularly your brain can cause a lot of brain fog. Um, so looking at, is it brain fog? Is it something leading to brain fog versus organic ADHD, right? Um, so checking out different symptoms can be, can be important, right? Well, so can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So how do we, you know, how could one decipher yeah. between brain fog and ADHD? Yeah. So, you know, a classic ADHD assessment is like a 15 minute intake where you fill out behavioral ratings. They're only 45 to 52% accurate in diagnosing ADHD, right? Um, a QEG brain map is 89% accurate. Always do a clinical intake on top of it. You're able to see it, but also you know, everybody comes to me, I put them with a medical provider or send them back to their provider and get, have them do lab work. Like what's your vitamin D? Uh, what's your magnesium levels, right? So uh, we are so stressed that we are just burning through magnesium and we need more, um, you know, minerals and as well as zinc, zinc people are low. So getting your thyroid checked properly, doing a real deep functional lab work assessment, um, particularly when you're, if you're listening and you're like, wow, I really didn't have focus problems before, you know, um, I recently had an adult come to me and she's like, I got diagnosed with ADHD and they gave me the meds and I feel a little more focused, but I don't feel like myself. And I had no history before this. And they still diagnosed her with ADHD and gave her the meds, you know, and she was like, something's wrong. So, and, and what happened was she wound up having, it was COVID. It was a long haulers related symptom that nope. She was like, I didn't even think about that. That's when it all shifted. She wound up having very low nutrient levels and her thyroid was going down and they only ran a TSH, which is an average. So I sent her to a functional practitioner who looked at her T3 and T4, looked at the antibodies, was able to adjust her thyroid, um, you know, get the nutrients back up. And then we did some um, neurofeedback to get her brain working and she had full symptom resolution. It didn't happen overnight and it took a good six months for her to get back pretty back to normal. She feels like she's even better than she was, but she made a real commitment um, to lifestyle and, and, uh, you know, she didn't have any weight problems. She wasn't eating bad. We just did some diet tweaks to really kind of amp up her brain. Um, because sometimes it's, it's when you're eating certain foods, um, and combinations that really can help, you know, if anybody's ever heard of biohacking to really hack in into the brain and the body and use these lifestyle things to improve your, get your brain to a neck to another level. Sometimes, um, you know, this, this world of biohacking isn't because you have a clinical problem. It's because you want your brain to work really like this optimal level. You want to be around a long time. Um, and you want to have a really fast brain. Yeah. That's really fascinating. So when we talk about, um, some of these nutrients, or I should say some of these disorders, whether we're talking about anxiety, depression, OCD, um, ADHD, is the diet recommendation generally the same for all of those conditions or do they change based off of the diagnosis? Yeah. So I believe in anti-inflammatory diet. So whenever anybody works with me, they get a basic anti-inflammatory diet, but I think there are different diets for different people 
right? And it has to always start with what are people most comfortable with? I deal with overwhelmed mothers a lot. So I don't want to do anything that's going to make them feel overwhelmed. So I'm like, what can you do, right? So that's where it comes in. Are we working on swap outs? What are we doing? But there are certain diets. Um, one of my very best friends is Cynthia Thurlow. She's like an intermittent fasting expert. And I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting um, for brain health because there are certain things that happen after a 12-hour break from eating, right? Um, including a process called autophagy, where I call it the dishwasher cycle, where the cells clean themselves. And some of my people feel amazing on intermittent fasting, but intermittent fasting isn't like, I'm going to take a, a fast and then I'm going to have McDonald's, right? So, you know, what's your first meal should always have fat because it gets sucked right up into the brain. So, there are definitely different diets that can be helpful. I think people, instead of feeling really overwhelmed, like just get a, get a Mediterranean diet. Like it's a good place to start. It's, you know, lots of variety, nutrient dense food and, and always listen to your body, right? Like, oh, I have brown rice. I feel phenomenal, right? Okay, well, that's great. You know, when I have beef, I don't feel good. Well, don't eat it, you know, like, so, so pay attention to those connections. Food really should always, you know, I'm all about food being yummy. I do a lot of spicing of my food. I have a lot of different herbs and different spice mixes and everything I make tastes really, really good. Um, I'm not going to just boil broccoli and put some salt on it. It's not happening. You know, like that's the quickest way to make your kids hate stuff, you know? And, um, so, you know, getting that, keeping it basic and then deciding on what works for you and working with professionals like you, you know, um, but, but we know clinically, I'm always about the research. The research is clear. It's an anti-inflammatory diet, whether that's a keto, whether that's a paleo or a gaps or whatever, you got to decide that for yourself. Um, I'm not opposed to any of those. I just don't want people to be like, well, are you, you know, some people get really extreme. Um, and I don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed. And I also want to honor that people, including myself, I have food allergies, um, and food sensitivities. And so, uh, you know, sometimes your food sensitivities are pretty easy. Like I am absolutely, uh, I'm allergic to eggs, but very sensitive to dairy and wheat. And I feel sick for days when I have it. So it's pretty easy for me not to have it, you know, but some other people, it, the connection is different. So um, food sensitivities are real and you have to also incorporate that in your diet too. Mm -hmm. What is your recommendation for maybe a, either somebody is struggling with anxiety and depression themselves, or they have a family member or it's a parent, you know, you said you, you deal with stressed out moms and dads a lot, like what, how do you, how do I want to say this? What are your recommendations for how to implement some of these changes into the whole entire family? Um, you know, for me, I think like, well, the whole family should be adopting this rather than like making separate meals for the child, you know, but sometimes it can feel really overwhelming when you have one child has specific nutritional needs, and then you've got all these other family members who maybe have different needs. How do you integrate them all together? 
Yeah, I believe like you, I think you have to make a sweeping change. Otherwise, it's just gets ridiculous, right? So, um, and, you know, you, you want to eat well for yourself too. So when you have, you know, I have recently had a mom who, you know, her kid wind up stealing like the Oreos and she got all upset that her kid was like binging the Oreos. I was like, why do you have the Oreos in the house? Like, don't have them. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, well, we have actual mixes that the kids have to bake. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they got to want it bad. So they don't make them that often. And, you know, my kids will come down. So change, change your pattern, change your habits. Right. Um, So eliminating the garb, the higher level garbage and swapping it out with healthy alternatives is where every family should start. And there are way healthier alternatives. I, we have cookies. I'm not a hundred percent no on the sugar. I just do use cleaner gluten-free mixes, or if you're really looking for cost savings, cause I'm not a huge baker, only Grammy Hodge is a baker. I'm a chef. Um, so if you're a baker, then get the, you know, get the, the non mixes and it's much more cost effective, get the five pound, you know, mix and, and whatnot. And, and, and the reason why I oppose, opposed to gluten in the U S is 100% of the time it has poison in it. So it has glyphosate that is poison. Um, if you live in Europe, go ahead and have wheat. But we're in America and our food quality is very poor. So unless you're getting organic, um, it is not a good choice. So I am a, and brain, and the research shows us that again, an anti-inflammatory diet that is very low in gluten or eliminating gluten is clearly shown to improve mental health and reduce inflammation. So we always got to go for the science, but start there and then do things to incorporate your family in these nutritional changes. Don't be making everything. Have your kids cook with you. I mean, that is one of my biggest tips because one, it helps to empower them. You're not forcing it. They're helping you. I don't, if your kid is very young, I mean, my kids weren't even walking and I had them spicing food, you know, shaking stuff me. Oh, look what you made. You're, they're just way more likely to try it. Right. And, and this today in 2023, there are so many alternatives. I mean, I've been eating like this forever for well over 20 years. And I used to have to go to you know, one little section in the grocery store or a health food store. You can get everything anywhere now. So, um, and you just have to, again, plan for things. So what is your, what is your biggest tip for families on planning? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, buy on sale (laughs) and buy in bulk. Um, and pre, I pre do things like I pre marinate Um, I go to the grocery store and I think about the meal. What am I making? Like, don't just buy random things. It makes it a lot easier. I'm also a huge fan of roasts. So like every Sunday, there's some kind of roast, a a beef roast, a turkey, chicken, something. Um, And I make a some, and I have mother and boy, so I'll make double portions so that I have leftovers, at least for lunches for the next two days. Um, and when I do chickens and turkey and duck, my kids love duck. Um, I then make bone broth. So I take it, take the carcass, and then that's on a Sunday. And on Sunday night, I make bone broth. 
Um, and my kids love it. And then boom, Monday night, I got a meal done. So, you know, think about what you're making, try to make it in bulk, make it easier. Now, obviously if you're vegan, you can make, you know, if hopefully your kids, um, are like mine, not everybody likes soups, but I feel like soups are just such an easy way. Soups and stews to get a lot of nutrients in. You can break down vegetables. You can sneak things in sauces and stuff, but you know, just plan out your meals like, okay, Tuesday night, I'm doing this, whatever. Um, even if you don't use that defrosted, you know, stuff, um, knowing what it is and you've already bought it, makes it easier. I feel, do you feel that way? I mean, you're the mom of a lot of kids. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, I'm going to the grocery store twice a week. It's just, I can't, I don't, even though I have two refrigerators yeah, (laughs) and like three freezers, it's not enough. Like they, we just, they require too much food, these people. And so I find for me, if I keep my meat fresh and I don't freeze it, I am, I'm forced more likely to use it. Yeah, because I have to. I only got a couple of days before I'm not throwing it out because I just spent like $24 on this piece of salmon right. or whatever it is. So for me, it by keeping the meat fresh, it forces my hand to stay at home and cook because otherwise I'll have to throw it out and, and I'm very frugal. So, yeah. so that's not going to work. So that's like my tip of way of keeping me keeping me honest and keeping right. me on You're the right like, track. I bought, bought that. I also use a lot of um, ground meats frozen because those cook in the pan quick and I can make a sauce with it, whether it's turkey, chicken, um, pork, or sausage, um, lamb. My kids love lamb. I love ground lamb. Um, so, you know, work, work with what you got, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, um, yeah, I hear what, I hear what you're saying. You're like, you know, you probably have two carts when you go. Oh, well, if I go to the grocery store frequent enough, I can get by with one, but, but sometimes I just am like, I think my food bill is higher than my mortgage. And I don't think, I know my food bill is higher than my mortgage, which is just. I also found that, um, when I switched back to my local grocery store, my grocery bill got cut in half. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the big box sometimes is more expensive um, the meat prices, everything, and generally the meat quality is better at my local grocery store. So shop around and see where, see where it was. I'm not even exaggerating. It was literally cut in half. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You're always speaking my language when you're talking. Yeah. About well, you got to think about the logistics, you know, of stuff, right. You know, so, um, I know if you're eating out healthier food, it's just so much more accessible. I use an app called Find Me Gluten Free. I've been using that, I don't know, at least 15 years. Um, and it just helps you find healthier foods. Not everything is 100% gluten free, but it, if they're there, they tend to be ha- healthier. But I pack my lunch every day. You know, it's rare that I would get food out um, just because. I'm busy and I don't want to go out. I actually want to have my own, you know, whatever. I had this yummy kale and fennel fennel and radish salad yesterday. You know, like I was like, I don't want, where am I going to get that? Not going to get it, you know? And it would be like $27 if I went to the. (laughs) Right. To the nearest restaurant to get that. Instead it was like $4, you know, whatever it was. Right. So, you know, it's helpful. It is definitely way more economical to make your food. I think the thing 
people get bored, you know? So um, my other tip is to shop at different stores because it forces you to buy different products. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what keeps things fresh. Don't just have chicken all the time. That gets so boring, you know? And if you are, you know, pull different recipes, you know, do a stir fry. That's another big one. My kids stir fry soups are how we pack in a ton of nutrition in the food that I make. Yeah. No, I love these tips. These are fantastic. And it just reminds us again that, you know, we do have options, right? We don't have to just eat the same boring meal over and over again, just in the name of health. Like we can actually enjoy these foods um, and maybe think a little bit outside the box and how we're going to prepare them so that we want to stick with it because that's right. Consistency, longevity is the name of the game. Yeah. You can't have a grilled chicken salad every day. That is boring. Like, you know, mix it up, you know? Yeah. Well, Dr. Roseanne, this has been a fantastic conversation. I have enjoyed so much of it. I have learned a lot. Um, I think our listeners are going to take home a lot of key points from this as well. So we're, we're very appreciative of your time. Well, I hope people are inspired to better their mental health. And even though it always feels overwhelming, you just have to start and stick with it. Like, don't expect to do this for a week. Most of my clients, like I said, notice pretty significant changes within a couple of weeks, Um, but at least 30 days, at least 30 days before, you know, and you're not going to repair the gut and the brain in 30 days. You're just going to notice those changes. You've really got to say, this is what I'm going to be doing. You know, 70 to 80% of the time I'm going to eat these foods, adopt these lifestyle changes in order to have better, you know, brain health. Absolutely. Dr. Roseanne, where can we learn more about you? Where can we find your work? Yeah, and, well, and Dr. Roseanne books? everywhere. That's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N. Somebody squatted the one with doctor. That's all right. My lawyer's involved in that. But um, <laughs> but so D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com is where you can go. But I'm everywhere. Instagram, you know, TikTok, YouTube, everywhere is Dr. Roseanne. Excellent. All right. Because I know you've written some books. Um, you yeah. Your... I have my podcast. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I have books. I have lots of information. I always, my, all of my work is evidence-based and I, you know, the book I have behind me, it's going to be okay. has 41 pages of research citations. Like I don't mess around. Um, my goal is to empower and educate people about all the ways that they can change their brain. Yeah, I love that. I love the work that you're doing. Dr. Roseanne, we end every episode with a recipe. So I'm excited for you to share yeah. to share one for us today. This is one of my crowd favorites. So, and, and you know, if you're driving, you don't need a pen because this is like as simple as it gets and you don't need measurements, which I love. That's why I picked this. So this is a Granny Smith apple and sweet potato bake, Okay. And it's, it's awesome. So the, you're going to need Granny Smith. You're going to need sweet potatoes. I get a large quantity of both because this is that good. Don't make a little bit of this. Like people eat it like pigs when they come over, which I love. (laughs) Every Italian mother's dream is when your friends and family come over and they eat like pigs. So the key to it is peeling your sweet potatoes and then slicing them um, horizontally, right? And so that you're keeping them round and that they're, you know, a decent uh, thickness, like a quarter to an eighth of an inch, right? And then you, you can peel your apples or you don't have to. You decide what you're going to do. You're going to core them and slice them. That's the hardest part. 
You're going to need butter, whatever butter you want. You're going to need um, cinnamon. Now, optional is um, you could put honey or you could put um, some coconut sugar, but it is absolutely not needed. It's really good. So you're going to take your sweet potatoes. You're going to do a layer on the bottom. You're going to, uh, I use like a, you know, a, at least a nine by 13 pan, but I usually do one of those giant aluminum pans because people want it that much. Then you're going to put your, put your apples. You're going to put some butter and cinnamon, healthy amounts of both. Then you're going to do another layer of your sweet potatoes, butter and cinnamon. And if you really want to sweeten it, you can do um, a little tiny bit of honey or a little bit of coconut sugar. And then you're going to put tin foil and you're going to bake it a minimum of an hour minimum. If it's a low, you know, I usually am always roasting at 400 and you want it to be soft. Um, I serve it warm, but you know, my kids like the next day cold for breakfast too. So super simple. It is yeah. unbelievably good. It's hard to describe how yummy it is. I love it. So 400 degrees bake for an hour covered and we're slicing the apples, like slicing similar, the apples. similar yep. shape to the sweet potatoes. Yeah, it doesn't really matter because you're kind of putting a big layer in between of what it is, you know, so you just would do like regular apple slices. I like to leave the skin on, but, mm -hmm. you know, if my kids make it, they take the skin off. And we're doing two layers or do you even do I more? usually just do sweet potatoes, a massive layer of apples, and then another layer of sweet potatoes. Sometimes people oh. like to do two layers, but it doesn't really matter. As long as okay. you get those apples in there and they really, the apples are what are the sweeteners. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't, like you said, I don't know if we need any additional. Don't really need apple, it. You mm -hmm. can get a little bit of nope. tartness. So. Yeah. It's really surprisingly good. Like it's, it's yummy. So enjoy it. Do you, and you don't have to as... feel bad about it. And it's power packed with nutrients okay. and sweet potatoes. You know, these are, even though these are carbs and there's a real sweetness in the apples, the sweet potatoes, um, you know, aren't going to spike your blood sugar like it would a regular white potato. And it's a lot better health-wise than a dessert. And it fills that sweet tooth that you have. Yeah. Does Do you serve it as a dessert or do you serve it as a side dish? I serve it with a meal. Okay. Yeah. Nice. My kids don't even like, you know, if we make a dessert, they're like, bring it over, you know, and right? yeah. we don't always have it later. Grammy makes an unbelievable gluten-free apple pie and she makes apple crisps and they're very low, low sugar, you know, gluten-free, as I already said. So we, we, you know, she's our baking expert. That's not my jam. Got it. Got it. Well, Dr. Ruthann, this was wonderful. Thank you again for, for sharing all of your your knowledge with us. Um, we're going to take this information that you gave us today and we're going to put it into practice and we're going to see if we can help people feel better. Um, you know, if this is just one more area that we can support people in their mental health journey, we want to be here for it. So we're, we're, we thank you for the work that you're doing and, um, and helping others feel better. Well, thank you for having me on. And, and, uh, you know, as I always say, it's going to be okay. You just got to take one step. That's it. That's right. All right, guys, that's what we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining in and listening. We will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, 
visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.